Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 200 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Number 200, my friend. Yeah, it's a big milestone. I feel like it was just yesterday we had episode 100, so we're uh, doubling up. We are, and it's interesting to kind of reflect back when you um, look at the uh, production, quote unquote, of of everything how it's evolved how it's evolved over the years yeah it's been interesting um i guess we can kind of just start there just reflecting back on you know why we started the podcast how it's evolved and um you know i'll go first and say that you know the the reason why we started the podcast initially is you know me and you talk about this stuff every single day right and we just one of us had the idea hey, you know, what, what happens if we just turn a microphone on and just let people listen to us chat about this stuff? That's right, because our thought was it's not going to be a ton of work because this is the stuff we're already, you know, preparing internally research-wise, and all we have to do is put it in a digestible format. Right, exactly. And then the other part of it was, you know, after we talked about that, we talked about, you know, there's not a whole lot of good options out there for people to get information that they need about the financial industry, about the markets, about financial planning, about tax planning, about estate planning. Um, It's very, uh, it could be very intimidating, I think, for a lot of people to try to get their handle on this stuff. And not just for younger people, but for people that have been in the workforce for 30 years. Um, You know, way back in the day, like we've talked about before, this was a industry where people felt talked down to by people in suits, uh, three-piece suits, suits yeah. and ties, oh, sure. um, thinking that they know better than the average person. And we just wanted a media outlet where people could go. They don't have to listen every single week, but they could pick up where they want to and they could understand what we're talking about. They can understand major current events in the financial world. Uh, they can understand tips and tricks of what they can do personally to better their financial lives and their family's financial lives. And I hope that we've achieved that so far through 199 episodes. Yeah, I, it's very well put. I don't have anything to add. And, and a big shout out to um, Jenna Rittenhouse. She's our director of, uh, of marketing. She does a great job producing the podcast every week, everything from editing to you know, getting it out there to all the various uh, podcasting sites and in YouTube and all the editing that goes in. And so big shout out to her. And I think she has something special set up for us at the end of this podcast. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, but it's the production of this uh, podcast has has come a long way. Oh, it really has. <laughs> um, in the beginning, when Jenna wasn't with us, it was me and you figuring out all the tech behind this. And, you know, we probably wouldn't be at episode 200 without Jenna because me and you probably would have given up on it. And we don't have time for it. You know, I want to le- learn it. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, so, remember, yeah, you huge, were mixing it huge. in the beginning. Yeah. You were cutting the intro and outro and yeah. all that type of stuff. And it's time intensive. <clears throat> yeah. So a huge, a huge thank you to, to Jenna and, and everybody else that's, that's been involved in it. Aaron and Taylor that have come on. Nick that's Nick, come on. Yep. Um, you know, all the our, questions we've got from the, from our, 
from our audience. Yeah. It's been great the, the over re- the years. The rest of our Literally staff years. sharing years. it on, on social media and on their uh, media outlets. But yeah, and, and for all the guests that have come on and, and taken their time to give their two cents on, you know, their specific profession or something going on in the markets. Uh, we just appreciate it and can't wait to see what uh, what the next 200 episodes look like. Or it's going to be interesting. I'm sure the evolution of the technology we utilize and the way that we produce and push this out, I'm sure it's going to continue to get better and better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hang around till the end because I know Jenna has a very special kind of uh, trivia game uh, set up for us, and I believe our director of research and trading, Nick Whitaker, will join us for that portion. And uh, I know she's put a lot of work into it, and that should be fun for us. Perfect. Well, getting back to our normal schedule, as always, I just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on May 8th. And this data is from Y Charts. S&P 500 index down 0.8% for the month and up 7.8% for the year. Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.4% for the month and up 1.4% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 0.2% for the month and up 17.1% for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index down 0.7% for the month and down 0.2% for the year. The Vanguard All World X United States ETF is up 0.6% for the month and up 9.3% for the year. Three-month treasury rate at 5.31%, two-year treasury rate sitting at 4%, and the 10-year treasury rate at 3.52%. Moving on to big headlines, current events from the week, there's kind of a lot. I just plucked out a few things here, Matt. Uh, More uh, regional banking crisis news. So First Republic Bank, Uh, was seized by regulators over the weekend. Uh, This was two weekends ago. Um, And in the wake of that move, J.P. Morgan uh, answered uh, a FDIC call and acquired a substantial majority of the bank's assets and assumed its deposits and certain liabilities as part of a competitive bidding process uh, that was actually approved by the FDIC. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said, First Republic's failure doesn't change the economic outlook. The U.S. will see a reduction in bank lending, but the situation is nothing like 2008, and this deal will stabilize the system. So any thoughts there? Uh, I don't disagree with with, with Jamie's comments there. Um, I think that you have a um, Wall Street taking advantage of this situation, and there's going to be uh, more banks that fail until the government takes action. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is over. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to name names of the next banks that are that I feel are being targeted. Um, and this is this is not a issue of the financial system like it was in 07 and 08. This is purely a confidence issue at this time, and um, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, the weakest bank goes down. Everyone looks in the room and says, okay, what do we think is the next weakest bank? And then it becomes a self-building prophecy. So until the government does something, unfortunately, there's going to be more smaller banks that probably go under. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And it's, it's you know, it, it's not contained it's not until contained. it's contained. Yeah, it's not contained. And, and, and could it get there without government intervention? Yes, but I think there's more pain to go in some of these smaller niche banks that wall street is kind of targeting right now yeah yeah i agree 
moving on, uh, some comments from Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, on May 1st. Uh, she warned that the Treasury is unlikely to be able to continue to satisfy all of the government's obligations by June and potentially as early as June 1st. So uh, is this something people should be concerned about, Matt? What does this mean when people are talking about the debt ceiling and raising the debt ceiling? Mm -hmm. uh, is, it, is it a major issue or no? Personally, I think it's noise. Um, I think right now it's political posturing. Um, I keep hearing a lot of experts or talking heads give it about roughly a third chance that there's an actual default on a temporary basis. Uh, from my side of it, it's noise, it's political posturing. They're gonna, you know they're going to wait to the very, very, very last minute to approve this so everyone has the maximum negotiating power. My two cents, noise right now. Yeah, and it's nothing that we haven't experienced before, right? Oh, yeah. This happens actually quite often if you look back at history. So, sure. Um, again, it's just one of those things that until it's an issue, it's kind of a, a non-issue right now. I would agree. Uh, last but not least, the Fed uh, hiked rates uh, last Wednesday uh, by 0.25% to raise the uh, target interest rate in the U.S. to 5% uh, to 5.25%. Uh, the stock market didn't particularly uh, love the news it heard from Fed Chair Powell, largely because there wasn't any sense that the Fed was thinking about cutting rates anytime soon. And Fed Chair Powell actually said that if the committee's inflation forecast is right, then it wouldn't be appropriate to cut rates at all. So um, I think the market is pricing in uh, a pause right now, at least for the next couple of months. But um, again, these are all just forecasts. They are predictions. Everyone knows how I feel about forecasts and predictions. Yep. could be completely wrong. Um, so we're just going to have to wait and see how, how this place plays out. I have a specific piece of research I'll be discussing with the current indicative uh, yield curve of Fed Fund Futures based upon the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So Fed Fund Futures, where money's being placed right now, I'll be discussing that, letting you know where Wall Street sits on this. Right. It's like, it's like think about placing a bet, right? Yeah. Like people place their bets with their money saying, hey, future rates are going to be here in... 12 they're putting months. money behind it yeah Big so money. that's what, what we mean when we're talking about that yeah uh anyways moving on to tweets articles and research from this week uh, first thing i had was an article from jeffries in april titled normalcy returns faster than you'd think after financial crises boy that's so true so that is so true it is it is. So uh, Jenna's going to throw a chart up from Jeffries here on the video and in our show notes, uh, and it shows the historical financial crises over the last three and a half decades. Uh, so they start off by saying this, in times like these, nothing enables us to see the big picture better than stepping back from the uh, immediate fires and taking a look at the very big picture over a widely extended time horizon. And in this graphic, you're going to see uh, major crises, like we just said, over the past three and a half decades. The 1987 stock market crash, 1990 savings and loan crisis, 1994 rapid interest rate increases, 1998 the rough Russian uh, sovereign debt crisis, 2000 the tech meltdown, 2001 9-11, 2008 great financial crisis, 2011 European sovereign debt crisis, 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. 2022 and 2023, Russia-Ukraine war, 
regional bank crisis, <laughs> credit Swiss <laughs> rescue. They threw a couple more things into that I'm one. laughing because there's just so many things listed in 2022 and 2023. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, you and I have just been through an actual, like, just war. I feel like you've been tossed into a washing machine and yeah, spit out. Yeah, that's not the best analogy on my part. It's just, you get it, what I'm trying to communicate. Yeah. It's just been a long, grueling. Right. So with all that being said... If you pan over to the right side of this graphic, Matt, it shows what the three-year impact has been on the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500, and it shows the five-year impact. Is this su subsequent to the end or the beginning? After. After that stuff subsides. Yes, after these dates on the left-hand side. Got it, that. Okay. Got it. Okay. So three years after all of these major crises. Yes, sir. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 have been positive every single time oh and at most for the s p 500 by 102 percent after 2008 uh and at the very least for the s p 500 uh, positive by four percent after the 2000 tech meltdown so they continue on and say our our world always finds a way forward in fact Things are usually pretty darn good in a surprisingly short period of time after we avoid often anticipated the end of the world. People or institutions that panic, freeze, or flee when times are in their darkest deprive themselves of participating, deprive themselves of participating when the sun comes out once again. People or institutions that buckle up, put out the fires, remain calm, encourage their partners to do the same and stay the course even when it feels like there is no reason or reward to keep marching on are often the ones who get magnified positive results when the storm passes. The smart, well-fortified, pre-prepared and forward-looking people or institutions that have the luxury and nerve to play offense during these especially turbulent times can find themselves at another higher level in almost every aspect when the sun shines again, if they play their cards properly. The reason why people or institutions who focus on the long term versus the short term always win is because this roller coaster never ends. The twists and turns and ups and downs may always look and feel completely different, but when you step back and look from a distance, there are enough patterns and similarities that will help thoughtful minds make sense of it all. This kind of brings me back to when we had JC Peretz on the podcast early in the podcast, Matt, um, where I think I said, either me or you said, oh, it's crazy times, right? Because it was right around COVID. And, and he looked at us and said, when is it not crazy, right? There's always going to be something that's out there where the market is on a roller coaster, like Jeffrey's points out here. And I was talking to somebody this weekend um, about this, and I've just, now that I've been in the industry for several years, I've just accepted the fact that it's never going to be completely calm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm taking it all in. So I think I think this was a really good article that I encourage people to read the whole thing from, from Jeffrey's um, that kind of just shows where we are right now. And, you know, while clients and investors the last thing they want to hear is you know it's going to get better it's going to get better it might just take more time because it feels like it's been a decade since we've had an up market even though it's really only been a year and a half um we got to keep our eye on the prize which is the long term absolutely you know um i made this comment on the podcast a couple of weeks ago 
it, there's going to be years where, and this is not an exaggeration, less than 10 trading days. If you miss out on the 10 best trading days, you can have a negative return for the year. Yeah. And that is uh, time in the market, not timing the market. And I think there's a lot of people out there, especially with how poor 2022 was, not only for stocks, but also for bonds, who are uh, overly conservative or completely out of the market thinking, oh, you know, I'll get back in when, when, when things are better. And my concern is, is that by the time it feels comfortable, a lot of the recovery has already occurred. Yeah. And so um, my words of wisdom is invest for your time horizon, invest for your goals and objectives. When you start to see uh, individuals pivot and it's like, they're not gonna need this money for years and years and years, but it's sitting in a T-bill right now. You know, that's where these disconnects happen in these types of times. Because you've got tunnel vision, you're thinking, okay, this is not gonna change, this is not gonna change. And the most expensive term on Wall Street is, it's different this time. Well, the market's not gonna recover, Mark, because you don't understand. It's different this time because of, let me hold, let me check the list. Uh, Russia-Ukraine war, uh, regional bank crisis, uh, Credit Suisse rescue. It's different this time. The political environment's oh, the worst oh, it's ever been. Worst it's, oh, worst it's ever been. You know, we got a presidential election next year. Oh, it's gonna be clown show. You know, it's different this time. And it just takes me back to when times are good, we tend to take on too much risk, generally speaking. And when times are bad, we tend to take too little risk. Mm -hmm. Words of wisdom. Yeah. Words of wisdom Tuesday. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, next thing I had was an article from Bloomberg, uh, kind of in a similar vein, Matt, that uh, was titled Stocks Beat Cash, Even If You Could Time a Recession. So this was back on April 27th. All right. You know I would click this. Yeah, if this I is... saw this, you know I would have clicked that. It's clickbait. That is perfect clickbait right, right. there. Perfect. So they start off by saying the U.S. economy is widely expected to tip into a recession sometime later this year. The Federal Reserve thinks so, as does Wall Street. And financial Twitter is a flutter with recession talk. Some financial observers are going further, advising investors to swap stocks for cash in anticipation of the looming downturn. The problem with that advice is that no one knows if or when a recession will materialize. Investors could wait years for a downturn, missing out on stock market gains while their cash loses value to inflation. Or worse, they could dip in and out of stocks as recession predictions come and go, Ooh. losing money to ill-timed trades along the way. But let's say you're blessed with magical powers to spot recessions. Before dumping stocks and moving to cash, it would be worth noting... Uh, Oh boy, I just lost my spot. That's right. First of all, worth, oh, it would be worth knowing how such a maneuver would have performed in the three months leading up to previous downturns, right? So this is this is this we is perfect knew what was going to happen. Given what you and I just talked about in your last piece, this is perfect, we, right? So if you know what's going to happen, you know when a recession is coming, would you still have an advantage by going to cash before the recession? Most people answering this question would say, obviously, Mark. According to the National Bureau of Economic Research, there have been 30 recessions since 1871. 
I looked at how the S&P performed six months before each of those recessions and found that it produced a positive total return 21 times out of 30. So even if you knew a recession was coming, you would still most likely be better off in stocks in the months leading up to it. The market also managed to produce a positive total return 12 of those 30 recessions. So almost getting close to the 50% of the time. Okay. Which is probably also surprising for people. Mm -hmm. uh, John is going to throw up um, the actual graph of these return numbers that just show how the S&P 500 uh, has performed unpredictably around the previous 30 recessions since 1871. We also got to remember how many recessions did the stock market predict that never happened? Quite a few. And the ones that it did predict, um, you know, the market took the hit already, and then you started to have the conversation, how much of it's baked in, and you've had that conversation earlier in the year, mm -hmm. right? How much of 2022 downside in stocks is baked into what's going to happen in the second half of this year, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, it, you know, it could be a while before we before we see a recession. I just don't want people to think that it is a just because a talking head tells you your recession's coming in the second half of the year doesn't mean it's going to happen and doesn't Correct. mean it's not priced in. Correct. Uh, last but not least, I have a LinkedIn post from Sebastian Page who works for T Rowe Price. Uh, and Sebastian uh, shared a chart that shows what has driven the returns excuse me, so far year to date for the S&P 500. All right, listeners and viewers perk up on this one, okay? Because this is an important one right now. So Jenna will throw this up on the YouTube page in our show notes. Um, and Sebastian says this, year to date returns for the S&P 500 have been driven by mega caps. The spread between the blue and green lines in the chart is remarkable. Here's a few thoughts. And what he's referring to is the blue line in the chart is the top five biggest uh, names in the S&P 500, okay? The green chart is the bottom 495 names in the S&P 500. The top five names in the S&P 500 by market cap or by size are up almost 32% year to date. Talk about a narrow market. While the rest of the S&P 500 is only up five and a half percent. That is a very narrow market. So he says, mega cap tech companies are focusing on efficiency and delivering positive earnings surprises. We also have a few positive narratives for the tech outlook, lower rates, AI excitement, continued growth in cloud, etc. If you're a contrarian, small caps look remarkably cheap relative to large caps. Part of this has been driven by the weakness in regional banks which are well represented in the mid and small cap indices. Yep. The strong performance of the S&P 500 thus far this year is not necessarily a result of, of an improving economic outlook. In fact, it may be a sign that investors are crowding into companies they think can be the most resilient in a slow economy. So you'll see what's driven the performance so far year to date, and people are almost hiding out in these mega cap tech, na tech names, right? So this mm -hmm. is Microsoft, this is Apple, this is Amazon, this is Meta or Facebook. Yep. Um, Google. Google, right? Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see if this continues through the rest of the year. One of the things I don't necessarily like about this is, this is what I call an example of weak breadth, mm -hmm. where when we see the market advancing higher, we wanna see 
a lot of names broad participation in the S&P 500 participate in that upside move. We've seen how this has ended before when it's just a few names dragging the market higher. And the other thing to consider too is that uh, micro caps are on the verge of a breakdown right now. That's Small caps aren't far away from that. And those are two risk on areas of the market. So True. when we're going to be transitioning into an uptrend, we want to see small caps and micro caps participating because they are riskier areas in the market. But for the past month or two, investors have been dumping those names. So yeah. That's and again, because the, the allocation to the financials, you know, I think the small cap index, what is it? Uh, one fifth or so is financials. That's substantial. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how this all plays out. But that's my maybe my one worry I have right now is that I really would like to see small caps kicking into gear. Uh, financials hold their their level from where they are. If the XLF ETF is below 30, that's probably a tougher environment because there's not many market environments where the market can advance without financials. And you're specifically addressing a uh, financial sector uh, exchange traded fund when you say XLF. Correct. And it has a lot of the major major banks, banks right? That are JP in Morgan, Wells yep. Fargo, Bank of America. You can go down the list. And just as a reminder for our viewers and listeners, um, you know, anytime we talk about a specific security as an example, things like Apple or Meta and, and Alphabet, which is Google, et cetera, these aren't recommendations for or against any specific security. Um, and we used, obviously use them as examples. And the reason that they come up a lot is they're the higher market cap names that get talked a lot about in the market. Mm -hmm. um, are you ready for me? Sure. All right. Um, so I'm going to once again bring up what everyone's going to be talking about in the second half of this year. You heard it first on the Independent Advisors podcast, people. So you ready? It's going to be about where the market's going with interest rates and how long does the Fed pause. Okay. So this is a tweet by Charlie Bellello on May 4th. We talk about Charlie's research uh, often on the podcast. He had this postmark that said, current market expectations for the path of Fed fund futures. Ready? June 14th meeting, which is the next one, pause. July 26th, pause. The market is now pricing in a 25 basis point cut at the September 20th meeting, a 25 basis point cut at the November 1st meeting, and a 25 basis point cut on the December 13th meeting. Does this mean it's gonna happen? No, doesn't mean it's gonna happen. This is just where Wall Street has money on the table. This is where the bets are on where the flow of interest rates are going to go. Now, Jenna's gonna put this chart up for our YouTube viewers. This will also be in our show notes. Mark, you wanna remind our newer listeners where they could get our uh, show notes? Yeah, at uh, LinkedIn or Facebook, uh, and that's at Jessup Wealth Management or on Twitter at Jessup Wealth. So what this chart's gonna show you is, again, the market expectations for Fed funds rate, and this thing goes all the way out to January of 2025. Again, this is not written in stone. This is not guaranteed, quote unquote, to happen. This is just where the money's at right now in the market with the with the prediction. So um, the reason I'm highlighting this is this is going to be the talk the second half of the year. It's going to be let's assume this is correct for a second and they pause at the next two Fed meetings. The whole conversation is going to be what do they do September, November and December? It's going to be the whole talk of the market. And uh, I'm going to give you my preview and my thought. If you start to see sluggishness in the economy, one, 
and two, inflation continues to come down, you're probably going to see cuts. I don't know to what degree. But if one of those two, if inflation is stickier or we don't see sluggishness, the rates are probably going to stay longer and they're probably not going to cut. And so that's clearly what's going to be the talk about the second half of the year. And everyone's going to be trying to predict when this is going to occur. I'll give an update in, say, another four to six weeks. I'll give people an update on where this curve stands. But right now, three quarter of a point cuts, second half of the year is what Wall Street's pricing in. We will see. Any right. comments? Well, I think it's interesting because I'm, again, the first person to, to point out, hey, I just I don't think predictions are useful. I don't think forecasts are useful because it can change at any second. Um, but the interesting and, and this is not at this time a different thing for me. I'm just pointing it out. The interesting thing for me about this map is what's the strongest major indice so far year to date? The NASDAQ, the tech heavy index. Yes. Tech stocks have been leading this market year to date. We always talk about on this podcast how the market is forward looking forward looking. by about six to 12 to 18 months, depending on the environment. Right. Correct, sir. So the only thing I'm saying is this would make sense if rates come down near the end of the year because tech is outperforming right now. Does that make sense? That's where the money flow is right now. It's indicating that um, you know, tech stocks traditionally do better in a lower interest rate environment. Correct. So this makes sense why this graph looks like this. And I think it's probably the highest probable outcome. And just because I think it's the highest probable outcome doesn't mean it's going to happen. Does not mean it's going to happen. These things can change quick. The futures on interest rates can change quick. We've seen it in the past can go from, you know, 99% certainty on a certain way. And then one week later, it's at 30%. Absolutely can happen. So. Now, let's just uh, play a scenario that this, this happens. This kind of Fed fund futures, you know, the, the Fed cuts rates two or three times in the second half of the year. Let's just say that for a second. Traditionally, how would that affect bonds or fixed income securities, Mark? What would happen there? Yeah, so bonds and interest rates have an inverse relationship, right? So when interest rates go up, bond prices go down and vice versa, right? So we saw the negative effect of that in 2022. Correct. So to even give this point even more credence, if we start to see bonds, specifically longer dated bonds like the e Treasury uh, ETF, TLT, it's the 20 plus year U.S. Treasury ETF. Mm -hmm. if we start to see bonds break out and start performing to the upside. Tech is continuing to outperform to the upside. Then I think this is more and more likely to happen because investors are saying, OK, when interest rates come down, I want to own bonds because bond prices are going to go up. So that should be an environment where they're trying bond to lock ETFs in their rates or now bond funds because they think they're well. going to be lower. Correct. Lock those rates in. So, um, and again, this is this is a decision that money managers and investors need to place their bets. If you think interest rates are going to come down, then yeah, maybe it makes sense to have an allocation to tech into bonds. But if you think the other way, then maybe maybe you shouldn't. Yep. Again, not recommendations for or against things like TLT, and but just throwing out you know how this traditionally works in a lowering interest rate environment if that ends up occurring. So my next thing, and this is going to be a fun one for us. Okay, the power of stock buybacks. 
I saw this uh, chart that uh, Charlie put up on May 6th, and I was like, okay, I got to share this in the podcast because I think this is not uh, something that is fully understood by the average investor. So we'll Very take- divisive, by the way, too. And we're not here to uh, say whether stock buybacks are right or wrong. Sure. We're just pointing out the facts that it it is good for shareholders. Yes. Right? I feel that I feel that's, that that is accurate. Right. So um, I think that a lot of times when people hear stock buybacks, they don't really understand what that is or how that could positively affect a shareholder. So we'll have Jenna put this uh, chart up for our YouTube viewers, and I would encourage you to go to our show notes to look at it. What it is, Mark, is it is a chart of, of Apple, the largest stock by market cap, and it goes back and it shows in blue the number of outstanding shares that the companies had for the last several decades. And then in uh, black, it shows the amount of stock repurchases it's had over time. And so to give you an example, roughly a decade ago, okay, roughly a decade ago, had about 26 billion shares outstanding, okay, roughly a decade ago. Currently, because they've bought back so many shares, that's right around 16 billion shares now, a decade later. So they went from 26 billion outstanding to roughly 16, okay? Now, what does that do to shareholders? When you have things like earnings per share, they're paying dividends, they're paying a dividend to less shareholders because they are retiring those shares. That's how you are rewarding your shareholders, okay? Now, their earnings have gone up over the last decade, doesn't mean it's gonna continue that way, and I'm not for or against Apple on this podcast, but I'm just giving you an illustration that when you retire shares, it takes actual cash, that's not financial engineering, and you are eliminating shares, and that's just amazing what this company was able to do in the last decade in my example here. Right, so yeah, in, you know, in a perfect world, theoretically, share buybacks should boost stock prices because the value of Apple in this example has not changed just because they retired stock. Correct. Their financials have not changed because of that. So theoretically, earnings per share should go up, their stock price should go up, right? That's in a perfect- If all things equal. All things are equal, right? Mm -hmm. So, and an example of that is, let's just say Apple has very simplistically 10 shares outstanding. Mm -hmm. Let's say they buy back half of those shares. So 50% of the shares are gone. Theoretically, the stock price should go way up because now there's only half of these shares available, right? Yeah. So, but think of that, you know, times billions uh, in this example. But um, yeah, I think you're going to see probably some more of that with the environment that we're in right now. There's, you know, uh, the C-suite of these companies are going to be thinking of ways to entice new shareholders to keep their current shareholders. That's going to be in the form of stock buybacks, raising dividends, doing special dividends if they have the cash to do it. Um, well, it, it, great minds think alike. You're perfectly leading me down leading my piece, right. piece of research number three here. Are you ready for this? Okay. So um, I have the latest data regarding stock buyback announcements, okay? Now, the person who posted this um, is a uh, very widely tracked trader on Twitter. Um, this cat's name is Wall Street Jesus. Okay, <laughs> love that. 
And uh, this trader has 162,000 followers on Twitter. He posted a chart from Bloomberg Finance and Deutsche Bank, and it goes back roughly a decade mark, and it shows the weekly announced buybacks of S&P 500 uh, components, the companies that comprise the index. And um, what you're going to see is that recently, we've had a tremendous amount of announcements of stock buybacks amongst the S&P 500 index. I mean, I'm sure it's happening in the small cap and mid cap arena as well, because the S&P 500 is a large cap index. But when you look back to the last decade, there's probably a half dozen uh, or so times where buyback announcements have been this large. And when you are in the marketplace and all of a sudden you are competing for shares with the company, that's a tailwind for a lot of those stocks, right? Doesn't mean it's guaranteed it's gonna be positive, but it tends to be one of those components on the list of positives and negatives that's usually a positive for the stock price. Right, and even just how we talked about, you know, the value of company XYZ has not changed since they've retired stock, yes. right? But think about this too, in addition to that, you have the same amount of, theoretically, the same amount of demand for these stocks and there's less shares to buy. That's what right. What else does that do? That's right. Pushes, pushes the price up usually. So again, um, words of wisdom, you know, how long you and I have been managing money for, I would not m recommend making a sole investment decision to buy a company just because it's buying back its own stock. It needs to be a data point is my words of wisdom on this. Uh, but I think it's one that's intriguing to me because guess what? You gotta be in a relatively good financial position if you're gonna be spending money to buy back your own stock. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you can't be in a bad financial position and be like, oh, I'm gonna try to prop my stock up and buy it back. It's usually not an option. Right. So just be mindful of that. Okay. Um, well, I think we'll leave it there uh, until our fun game here in a couple of minutes, Matt. But before we get to that, uh, anything else? you wanted to leave with listeners. We're on the tail end of earnings season. Um, you've probably seen some um, short-term movements in, in names. It's interesting, you know, we've seen examples, I'm not gonna name names, we've seen examples of stocks, you know, day after they report earnings, jump up five, eight, 10%, and then two days later, they're flat, they give all that back. I've seen the opposite. Um, be, be mindful that you might continue to see um, some day-to-day you know, extreme movements, and it's probably because the company announced earnings or something related to its earnings. And um, we got maybe roughly a week or so before that starts to really die down. Um, next Fed meeting is uh, not gonna be until June, mid-June. So uh, I think the market right now uh, might be just choppy for a little while. I think that there's not gonna be a ton of news flow. Um, you know, inflation data is gonna come out here soon, but beyond that, they just got a lot of chop yeah, I agree. And I would I would add to that. It, we're in what I would call like a, a stage two market, right? Stage one's a big decline. You yep. had that in 2022. Yep. Stage two is a lot of sideways chop. And these can last for years, right? They could. Stage three is an uptrend. Stage four is sideways moving market at the top and then back to stage one and decline. So I think we're in stage two right now. 4,200 level, really important, I think, the for the S&P 500. 500, that if we want to move higher, we got to get above the 4,200 level. Stay there. Sustained. Yep, we we, we could pop above it, but we need to sustain that. Yep. 
Um, and I think you'll see a lot more participation if we get that move above 4,200, but um, we just have to stay patient. Well said. Okay. So let's pause there and um, we're going to see what Jenna has put together for us. So <laughs> I have 10 charts and I will flip through and show you the chart on Mark's laptop. I've got all the names of who did these charts here. Oh, this is too easy. So you have to know who it is and then you have to find the paper and I'm going to keep score. Okay, so you we're have to competing be the one, against like, each other. Yes. <laughs> so like, in spoons, you have to be the one that takes the... Yeah. Oh, this is great. Oh, so it's like a speed thing. I hurt my back yesterday. Looks like I'm going to hurt it again. <laughs> <laughs> Ready? Ready. Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> that was Charlie. Ah, oh, okay. Alright. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, you gotta be quick. Alright, keep it going. Hold on, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I didn't get bespoke, I would get so much <laughs> crap because I, I talk about him all the time. I was ready for the bespoke. Alright, this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so close. We should have like an instant replay on that. It's like. Like what's the uh, Steve Harvey show? Oh, uh, Family Feud. Family Feud. Yeah. Family Feud. Yeah. We're, we're gonna break the table. Oh, of all people, he should have got the stock charts. Yeah, it's my, yeah. it's of my cup of tea, so to speak. Oh, um, hold on. Um, is that correct? Yes, it is. Oh my gosh, he's cleaning up. He is cleaning up, Nick. Coming from behind, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's I didn't get, I w it would have took me a second on that one. I'm gonna make it. Yeah, that's, that's Faxon. That was your, uh, that was your belly wick right there. It was, that was. I'm pretty sure I've used that twice on podcasts. Belly wick or Faxon? the last one's Morgan, so we don't want to win this. Uh, yeah, I'll win this one. <laughs> I'll take that. So. Did we tie? No, I have. I came in last. Yeah. Gotta be quicker than that. Gotta be quicker than that. <laughs> I'm happy about I got my bespoke. I'm happy about that. I never win anything, so this is great. Look at this. You, you cleaned up over there. Yep. Clean house. That's fun, because we do talk about charts all the yeah. time we see these formats we generally are pretty quick to know 
who generated that data, yeah. right? Just by looking at the format. Jenna, that was fun for 200. That was fun. So uh, our traditional podcast listeners, if, um, you know, recommend you view this on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a fun one. And as always, we want to continue growing this show and we want to talk about things that you all want to hear. So again, if you have ideas, uh, questions, please send them into inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com and we'll make sure to get it on the show. But hope everyone has a happy, safe, and warm weekend. And we'll be back with you next week for episode number 201. And share the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.